Welcome to the Torical Leadership Podcast. My guest today is Christina Dahl. She has a law degree and has worked as a legal advisor in several ministries in the Norwegian government. Uh, among others, for the Ministry of Trade and Industry, the Ministry of Justice, Ministry of Education, and the Ministry of Culture. And currently she works as a freelance speechwriter and is a legal advisor for the Vice Mayor of Culture and Sports in Oslo. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Christina. Nice to have you here. Thank you. Nice to be a part of it. So tell me a little bit about your journeys to from being a legal advisor to becoming a speechwriter and uh, how yeah, how how you went uh, how you made that that change in your career, I guess. Uh, yeah, I will try to explain uh, um, as um, very often in your life, you don't always plan uh, how yeah, the journey goes along as it goes along, what comes along. Um, I was working, uh, as you said, uh, in the Ministry of Culture uh, as a legal advisor uh, within film politics, media regulations. And um, uh, at one point, uh, I was asked to uh, contribute to one of the uh, kind of annual speeches held by the Ministry of Culture um, because it was... Uh, yeah, she she needed a lot of uh, what do you say uh, facts and, and input from uh, from us uh, the lawyers, uh, but um, also you know uh, writing a speech is um, it's not about just getting the facts. So uh, it was kind of um, I was asked to collaborate then with the communication department um, in, uh, in yeah to this speech, and uh, that was kind of the. Uh, where it all started uh, because this was a task that um, I've always wanted uh, I've seen I'd seen others uh, in the, my section or in the department uh, doing this task and I said uh, I would like to try this as well because um, yeah, I've always had and uh, still have a big passion for words and uh, the power of words and the power of language so um, yeah and uh, I guess um, I did okay because I was asked to do it again and um, also to contrib uh, contribute to other speeches. And then it kind of led to uh, a, yeah, a period of uh, uh, working for the communication department within the Ministry of Culture. So uh, from that point, really, I uh, kind of just, uh, yeah, I finished my tasks within the legal department and uh, I tried to apply for positions within the communications department. And from that moment, I've, uh, yeah, I've worked mainly with communication and uh, yeah a lot with speeches so as a i guess uh, you said you've always liked uh, the power of language and the power of words did you like writing when you were younger at school um yes i've always um liked writing but uh it's not like i have an author within <laughs> me <laughs> it's not like i dream about the writing the a great play or fiction i i I like facts, mm -hmm. but I've always been kind of attracted to trying to explain difficult things with simple words. Mm -hmm. uh, we call it plain language, uh, I think, in, in Norway as well. Um, it's always been uh, something I've, uh, yeah, I've been very interested in, uh, all the way from uh, I was in, uh, yeah, what do you say, uh, high school or even before high school mm -hmm. is uh yeah uh, writing but writing in, in a plain language trying to explain difficult things easy uh, it's always been a factor so i guess that's always something i've had yeah within me and so 
yeah, it, it seems seems like it was just something that that struck a chord with you, where it's like this is what I want to do. This is this is exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And uh, as I said, I I am um, an educated lawyer, or I I have a law degree, but uh, it was not like I that was never my dream of becoming a barrister or a solicitor or but still uh, during law school and also the first couple of years working as a lawyer i experienced uh, there as well the power of words i've done two or three appearances in court and that's a lot of similarities with holding a good speech mm-hmm. to uh, speaking speaking court so uh, it's always been kind of there but uh, i never did dreamt oh i'm going to become a big speechwriter. that's just something that uh, yeah just, just happened. happened yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity came and you just seized it yeah uh, and i'm still kind of uh yeah dreaming of becoming one like a proper one but uh, um i am practicing as one so mm. i guess i'm what was it like the first time when you had like okay uh you heard the minister saying words and it's like i wrote those words <laughs> i wrote those that speech yeah, it's well, um, kind of ex- exciting. It's exciting and it's frightening and it's scary and um, yeah, uh, because um, uh, hearing your own words being yeah held and proposed by by others, it's um, yeah, it, it is uh, it is exciting and um, yeah, as I said, also scary because yeah, you you find that what you can actually decide then what the audience is supposed to yeah. To, to to get to know and to hear and uh yeah it's a it's a big task and um depending on the occasion of course it's uh yeah it's um i can imagine uh, yeah yeah <laughs> well exciting. there's there's a lot on the line right there's uh the the credibility and the yeah. effectiveness yeah. of whatever the that government minister is trying to do yeah and it uh is to a certain extent uh dependent on how well you've done this but also how well they carry out something that you may exactly. have written a good speech on paper but then they just they just watch the delivery <laughs> yeah that's, i was about to say that yeah. the, no matter how great the script is uh the speechwriter can only take it uh this far it is up to the speaker him mm. or herself to deliver the words and uh they can also ruin a great speech by yeah as you say not main following the words or they could just uh yeah ignore it and uh not prepare well enough that is also that is um that is one of my great kind of uh pet peeves yeah because uh, everyone or everyone giving a speech has to prepare mm. no matter who they are barack obama spent loads of time preparing his great speeches it's not like very few people can just enter a stage and deliver a perfect speech you have to practice no matter who you are and so your your customers so far has it primarily been uh, politicians or have you also had people in in business and other uh, other areas uh, primarily politicians but uh, also there has been a few others uh, as well a couple within business and with organization uh, life which kind of they are similar to politicians as well they hold the same kind of speeches mm-hmm. uh so uh yeah it's um it's not a lot of uh, pathos speeches i've uh, normally well, well apart from a few kind of funeral speeches and kind mm-hmm. of sad occasions uh they're always or mainly kind of fact 
based. Uh, I mean, poli policy bit driven. Policy driven, and mm -hmm. very often that's when writing for ministers and writing for, uh, as I do now, the face mayor. It's like uh, openings. Uh, yeah, right. there to open. Uh, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, for them, you can obviously get. You want to get some emotion because you want to people to be able to commemorate some kind of festive occasion, right? So that's. Yeah, but that's the most difficult, I would say, like aspect of uh, because you need a really close collaboration uh, with the one giving the speech to to be able to yeah, for him or her to to take this to take this on this pathos. Uh, right. Yeah. To be <laughs> so, able to actually pull it off rather than just exactly. being a, a, a dry politician. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when it works, or, or when when it, it's very effectful and very yeah, those are the yeah. I would say I I would imagine the the best speeches to to listen to if they're really able to take this on and uh, yeah, deliver with emotions and um, mm. yeah, right. Uh, and so is it usually? Do they have like? Um, do they have it on paper? Do they have? Uh, or do they have teleprompters? How do they usually deliver the text, or do they memorize it? What, what's what's the usual method? The most of? usual is that they have uh, they have cards or scripts with with a manuscript with the uh, with the words on. Um, I try, as I said, uh, as I just said, to to make them at least read through the script uh, a couple of times. Uh, the the best is if they can try to memorize. Uh, the script by heart but that's very rarely if it's a, a subject or a theme that they're very very engaged in and concerned about and very yeah have a lot of uh, things to say about uh, those speeches uh, tend to be more successful as well because mm. yeah then they take it on and they they have like something really inside that they want to want to have out but uh, normally script teleprompters as well, but uh, that's all starts like big conferences right. uh, that would be used. Uh, the the business speeches I've written have been on teleprompter, but uh, my normal speech is given on like cards and the manuscript. Hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, how do you go about? Well, actually, first I'd like to ask. So, what would you say are the the most uh, common purposes for a speech is it uh, persuasive or more kind of like ceremonial, like epideictic, uh, as you said, with for funerals or, or or commemorating some kind of occasion, or or would you say like it's uh, infor informative speeches where it's like uh, kind of trying to just inform on a certain topic without having to trying to persuade. Um, I would say the, the the latter. The informative speeches are, uh, I would guess, uh, the majority of the speeches uh, I give. Uh, as I also said earlier, a, a lot of openings, uh, a lot of industries are are invited to to open a new school, open a new yeah, open a new school, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when there's a, been a big law project and the law has been put through the and uh, they're there to kind of, uh, yeah, uh, seize it all. And uh, but informative, uh, I would say, is uh, maybe the yeah, it's the main uh, category of the speeches. And uh, that's also kind of makes it, uh, I would say, a bit difficult as well because uh, a speech is not really, I would say, 
the best way to to give information it's no. a, a speech should be uh, a story uh, right. with a beginning with a main part and an end and uh, if uh, a speech yeah you're going to hold a speech and uh, this is what you're going to say to the to the audience uh, you need to have something more than just information for it to be a speech right uh, so uh so i guess that's, that, that's yeah. part of your job is to try to make that's it more engaging more be able to exactly show people that's the relevance what the, mm-hmm. what the written text differs from uh, a speech because the speech is not a written text uh, or is a written text but it, it's it's oral language uh, which is for the ears and not for the eyes and that's a big difference uh it's supposed always remember that the speech is for the ears you cannot go back in the manuscript and read again. What what did he or what did she say? Mm-hmm. It needs yeah, to be if, words. If you've, if you've lost them in the train of thought, then then it's very hard to get them back again. Exactly, and mm-hmm. the whole art of speech writing is to be able to have the audience there for more than three minutes. Right. Yeah, you have a great <laughs> opening, but also a red line taking them through the story you're telling and taking them all the way down and. Closing. I believe in English we call it a red thread. That's kind of yeah, it. yeah. Mm-hmm. a red the, thread the, or the through line. Yeah, that's uh, what we say uh, in mm. Norwegian as well. Yeah, <laughs> red yeah. thread. That's right. Yeah. And so, how do you go about when you first have you have the task? Okay, this is what we need to do. This is the the order from the from the ministry or from the client. Uh, this is what they want to get done. And then, how do you go about then crafting the speech? Well, the the ideal process is to have enough time to write uh, a good speech mm-hmm. and uh, to write a good and a short, which is my also passion, uh, a short speech. It takes time, so so um, yeah. The, the the main challenge is to have enough time because you need to gather information. You need to talk to to the people that know this subject which is very rarely the minister or the person himself he just uh, <laughs> is delivering it right. but uh, you need to collaborate with the with the people who kind of yeah in the industry in the ministry that works with these issues during their daily work so uh, an ideal process is to to have enough time to gather information and to give to me and, uh, and then we, i need to or um, a meeting with the person holding the speech, asking him or her what you want to say in this specific uh, occasion. This is what the, your people uh, kind of uh, ask you to talk about. Is this something that you want to talk about as well? And then we try to kind of uh, make a yeah uh, understanding of what what is the core messages here. And then mm-hmm. I well, there's no. There's no right answer on how to do this in the perfect way, but I kind of, my way of doing it is uh, to start writing kind of, I don't, maybe I don't know the outcome or have a full understanding of what this is going to really be about, but I I start writing down words Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, drafting a very raw draft and then I make another draft and uh, yeah. Uh, the ideal process then is to have a have a communication with the person holding the speech, but very rarely uh, that is the occasion uh, mm. because they rarely, they're busy with other things. They're busy with other things and they don't take the time that uh, I should I would say that they should do <laughs> in preparing uh, the speeches because um, speech is an effective tool of uh, both informing and persuading an audience, and then you need to 
as I said earlier, they need to prepare. But the very the what happens is that the the day the or hopefully the day before the speech is held, they 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 get the manuscript and they read through it. Sometimes they take a few notes themselves and make it a bit more personal and then that's that's the how the process goes but uh, in the ideal world we should a week before the speech is held we should have a new meeting and uh, we should talk through it and practice even that would be great I have a few I mean, examples but in, in my in my uh, speaking business english class i tell uh, tell the students about um, hutkes who's, who's called like the steve jobs of germany he's often rated as the best business speaker and for his annual address to the shareholders, he they have a full two-month-long process with yeah. drafts, redrafts, learning by heart, uh, testing in front of audiences, retesting, redrafting, you know, everything. Um, and, yeah, it's a full two-month process with a staff of about 20 people, I believe. Yeah. That are engaged just in one speech that takes about an exactly. hour. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that is, uh, as you say, it takes a lot of time and a lot of people, but I, I'm sure the outcome is uh, is better than when you spend, yeah, three days on it. Uh, right. But uh, is that yeah, is that the is that the average time you have on a speech? It's about three days. Well, it varies a lot. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I have more, but I can also be given like six hours to need a draft on uh, because he suddenly, uh, oh yeah. Uh, suddenly a new occasion came up. Yeah, a new occasion came up and or I need to step in for another person and uh, that's of course not uh, very ideal, but that happens uh, a lot when you work for politicians. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, occasions. I can imagine that's, uh, wow, six hours to draft a speech. That's uh... Yeah, that can happen. <laughs> That's uh, working through the night sometimes, I guess. If yeah. you have an early morning speech, then. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. Uh, you can be as disciplined and uh, structure as you, you want, but uh, there are, yeah, it's not within your control that uh, well, things happen, happens. right? The yeah. Crises come, and then suddenly you have to give a speech on that, and you have yeah. to give some kind of response. But that, yeah, that happens. <laughs> has it has there ever been that you've written speeches that ended up never getting held because the event got cancelled or so? A lot of times. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times. And um, first few times that happened, uh, you kind of, yeah, <laughs> feel very... Uh, wasted. <laughs> wasted, but that is a part of a job. And uh, I would say that it's not for waste because there will be another occasion I've learned that, oh, yeah, I did write something... I can find uh, at a later occasion this can be used in some way. It's it's not it's not like it was fully waste because uh, yeah there will be other other times. So but that that happens all the time cancellations and uh, yeah that uh, things change and uh, we didn't need it or he didn't use it. Uh, I've written for ministers that yeah they always uh, a speech was. Uh, yeah, they they ordered a speech, but uh, they never used it. But you always have to have it there because yeah. then they you never just know. using their own words and yeah. <laughs> ad libbing or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, but that's uh, that's a part of the job, uh, part of the job, uh, right? Speeches that never uh, is held. So, how would you say uh, if you look, if you kind of reflect on your craft, what are some things that you feel like you've gotten better at that you've kind of been able to develop? 
um, throughout the years that you've worked on this? Um, I think what I have uh, really learned, as I also said here earlier, is the what a speech really is. Because I think a lot of people think that, uh, oh, I know how to write. Uh, I write a lot. I write uh, articles, chronicles, notes. Uh, and drafting a speech, okay, I, I present myself. I, uh, I can just use the same text and just read it out loud. But what I've learned that um, if I get a draft from someone who said, oh, well, I'll, I already written a draft, so you can just like read through it and fix it a bit and it's done and i've learned that no uh, a speech is something completely different than uh, ordinary text uh you need to kind of write it from the start yourself you can't just like clip into the text passages that you've been given this is a topic that needs to be touched in the speech no you need to kind of as i said a speech has a beginning has a mid part and has an end and um you need to know the words that work for your eyes are not the same that work for the ears. Mm. Uh, it's a different tone. It's a different language. It's it's a story. And also, if I've been, I've learned, and uh, I still learn that it can never be short enough. A speech should <laughs> never be more than I would say ten, maximum fifteen minutes. Of course, depending on the occasion, but. A lot of the times in the ministries I worked in, I've uh, been told, yeah, uh, the minister's going to give a speech, a 20, 25-minute speech at the opening of the said, No, 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 no. He's not going to give a 20-minute speech. No one can pay attention for 20 <laughs> minutes at a subject like this. Like, right, it's, right. Yeah, so to keep it short, to remember the words that you need to use, um, that's what I've, uh, yeah, becoming better and better at and that's i think one of the core things of being a speechwriter that you really need to always have uh, have in mind the just the the, length. the <laughs> english uh, expression for that is pithy yeah to be able to say much with few words and to be able to uh, and that, that is of course uh and that's an art because it is difficult and it, especially if you didn't prepare well enough mm. uh to hold a short and precise speech, you need more preparations. Uh, I, I'm all, all very often given, can you just write a quick, it's a five minute speech, it doesn't take long. And I say, well, to write a five minute speech takes longer than to write a 20 minute speech because then you can <laughs> include a lot of things and blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 talk along. But to find those exact 500 words that you need for a five minute speech, because you say 100 words in a minute, it's difficult, uh, and it takes a lot of time. It takes more preparation. It takes more from the one giving it. Mm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think it was one that said, uh, "If uh, if you ask me to give a half an hour speech, I can do that right now. <laughs> if you want me that's to give Winston a ten, Churchill. ten, yeah, right, yeah. Winston Churchill, a ten minute he speech, I need that. a week, week to prepare, and five minute speech, I needed like two weeks to prepare or something like that." Yeah. Yeah, and he said, "If I can talk for an hour, I'm ready now." Yeah. So, exactly. uh, so uh, that, that uh, but that's a good quote because it, it says a lot about the time of preparation needed to write a short and a good speech. Mm. Yeah, it takes time. Yeah, because you do you because you still want to be able to have something said 
right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want to have a completed thought, uh, leave the audience with something, right? So it's not just filling time with time with something, but to be able to actually have a message that's complete, that's, yeah, and that's, all, that's thorough. Yeah. yeah. That's all. That's very often the one thing I ask the person giving the speech, like, what is the one sentence that you want the audience to be left with after mm. you've given this speech? What's the one thing? And that's a good task to give them as well, because they have to be a bit, they have to think through their message. They have to think, like, why am I really there? And very often they haven't even reflected on that. It's like, they're so busy, they take up their minds with, oh, what's the occasion today where, where am i going i've all i've often been in the car in the black government car with the minister on the way to an occasion where he's giving his speech and he's like so where are we on our way what's the occasion who am i talking to <laughs> who am i meeting and uh, those are of course the process where we did not have a meeting about this speech right. <laughs> but that happened quite often uh, so that one sentence that's a, that's a good task for everyone giving a speech or a class or anything. Like I want the audience to remember just one thing from what I said. And that's like the, the scene reminds me of uh, a joke where a politician comes and reads the wrong speech at a, at a yeah. different occasion. <laughs> yeah. Because um, they don't know where they are, happened. what they're supposed to do. That has happened. That has happened. Um, it wasn't me, but one of my colleagues. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to say the the actual ministry, but uh, and it wasn't the wrong speech, but but uh, uh, it was the wrong audience. Uh, mm. The one written the speech had been told that you're going to talk to a lot of, um, or the audience is going to consist of uh, high school uh, high school students uh, preparing for like choosing their career. And uh, the speech was written like, you are on the step towards blah, blah, blah. You, important uh, choice is going to be made. Your future is ahead of you. And the minister arrived, looked through a manuscript and hadn't really prepared. And then she was lifting up, uh, like looking into the audience. And she saw a lot of gray haired men. <laughs> and like they were... They were in their 70s. It was the, the senior department of one municipality. And she was, she became really mad. Like afterwards, she had to there, like turn around everything and just, yeah, think of a new. She couldn't talk to the 75 year olds you being, you like having all the future ahead of yeah. you. Yeah. So that created a big scene in there, but it was a, it was a good lesson of like, know your audience who are right. you talking to and uh, a lot of research uh, well the research had not been done in this occasion so well at least you didn't uh or the he or she at least the minister didn't uh just continue reading as if nothing else had nothing had happened <laughs> luckily uh, she was fast enough to see that this is not suitable but it was uh i think it was uh it was not a nice experience for the speechwriter uh, mm. to uh, yeah, haven't done this <laughs> small mistake <laughs> of not. Uh, so uh, yeah, the audience, oh, the dear. audience. We always say the audience is, of course, it's, it's crucial to know your audience. Um, yes. Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> what what are some ways that you'll try to uh, help the minister or your client to connect with their audience? Like, what what are some things you'll do in your speech to try to speeches that you write? Um, 
to try to mm-hmm. make that connection because if you don't have that connection in 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 in, in spoken in a speech then mm-hmm. it, it, you you never overcome that barrier and so the the audience aren't as receptive to the message uh i tell my uh, guy or <laughs> the one i'm writing for to try to say something nice about the audience uh, say something that make them feel good uh reveal or at least try to uh to reveal or try to to show them that you know them that they know who they are what they're concerned about mm-hmm. uh, connect with their kind of ideals and exactly mm-hmm. but, but but very often try to uh, in the research of making a speech uh, you try to find out something about the actual place that uh, he or she is visiting uh, this special town something that happened there something that they are yeah concerned about or proud of or something like that history and, yeah yeah uh, a lot of ministers i've written for they they've always uh, kind of uh, ordered uh, like i'm going there i'm going to say something an anecdote about the place uh, because I want to connect with uh, with the locals, so you need to find out something that happened there and some, some something that really tells that I know them, I know who they are, I know what they're concerned about. Uh, and again, yeah, uh, keep it simple. Uh, and um, that's also to do with the the way of talking, the way of presenting. That connect with them, like visually as well. Like mm. look at your audience, dare to take that little break look hi i'm so glad to be here today and like really dare to have that little pause when you're delivering your speech not just go up as you said with your head down read your manuscript and go down but really show and try <laughs> to tell that you you're there because yeah you're interested in the, the people that have come to listen to the speech Say something nice about them. Say that to show that you kind of understand them. Um, and it's not a lot. It takes uh, few sentences can be enough. But uh, say them at the beginning of the speech. Uh, try to connect as yeah as early as possible. Mm. That's the way to I think keep the the audience attention. Don't you don't say that for the last five minutes because the chances that you've lost them is uh, yeah. It's big. Yeah, start early, start start connecting quickly. Yeah. Yeah, start to connect quickly. I mean, that's yeah, because I mean, there's it's not easy for these politicians either, because they often have to give like what three speeches a day sometimes when they have a lot of things going on. Of course. Um, and it's it must be hard for them to care <laughs> to care enough and to be able to. Yeah, and to be genuine enough to like really be prepared enough and. Yeah, hmm. but that's like. A lot of politicians, they love people. So this is kind of one of their skills. That's why they became politicians. They can just, you know, they connect like immediately. But then again, a lot of other politicians are not the same kind of people. And <laughs> it's more out of obligation that, uh, well, I need to do this. I need have to go there. And of course, in their occasions, it's much it's much harder to to to, to connect with the, the audience and I would say some politicians they they never make it at all. They, it's just uh, yeah, uh, they just do this out of duty, and uh, it's obvious for everyone there that this is not like heartfelt. This is this is what you do because it's a part of your job. Mm. But again, 
holding a, a great speech it's it's a, it's a piece of art as well and uh, it needs a lot of preparation it's uh, you have to be really interested in this uh, this craft and uh, a lot of politicians are not uh, so uh, this is part of uh, their job and that's um, the speechwriter's dilemma as well it's just depending who you're working with uh, the outcome of uh, yeah did you have a like you don't have to mention a name but did you have a favorite one that just like that you worked with the two right speeches for that where you just felt that this worked very well this this was a very good performer of the speeches um, yeah i've all, i've always liked the best uh, the politicians that really have wanted help from a speechwriter mm -hmm. because i've uh, written for a lot of uh, politicians that i don't really need a speechwriter maybe you just give me a few bullet points and i'll do this and i've thought okay yeah fine but uh, are you sure? Because it could become really, this is, this can be a good story if you take time and blah, blah, blah. And especially one I've written for, he, he was the other way around. He's like, I have no clue on doing this. He, he took classes in performing and giving speeches and like really went into the, in, into it with like, this is, ah, I'm going to shine, but I, I'm very aware of that where I'm not, I am. Uh, I'm not able to because I've never done this before, but it was really interested in learning. And he said, I'm totally dependent on a good manuscript here and I'm going to prepare myself. If I give me the manuscript uh, a week ahead and I'm going to practice. And uh, that's uh, that's speechwriter's dream, I would say, mm -hmm. that having a person really like wanting and needing your help and uh, willing to, to, to take the time that it takes to yeah take this on. So that's definitely, and yeah. And you could see how they kind of improve on it and yeah. Yeah, and he really wanted to and really like, I could see the audience as well, that they really like, they had a good time when he, not that he was like perfect or the most intellectual, uh, the, the, but he was, he was genuine and uh, kind of funny in the way that his approach to this thing that was, this is really something I want to and I'm, this is out of, uh, yeah, this is, this is, uh, uh, he was genuine. He he really wanted. He, he liked uh, connecting with the audience, but uh, he needed help in finding ways to do it. And uh, yeah, when it, it it worked because he was so yeah he was genuine. Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a good tell. So it's not like you don't necessarily need someone who's super talented from the no. beginning, but there's someone who wants to learn and someone who's willing to uh, get feedback and and improve on their performance. Yeah, and he was also, like, from the beginning, a quite controversial uh, politician as well that a lot of people have had a lot of uh, prejudice against, I, I would say. But but uh, as time went by and he was, uh, yeah, he, he became really popular uh, due to the way or to, to, to the way he approached this and uh, his uh, genuine interest of uh, kind of, yeah, both talking to people and getting to know them and getting to understand what they were concerned about within his uh his uh, ministry or his uh yeah department mm. Mm. And so <clears throat> a little bit about the kind of the institutional role that you play uh the uh in uh mina garrison's book about uh, uh succeeding with speeches obviously she uh, <clears throat> she got her own first to teaching of uh rhetorical teaching among uh, the uh, labor party which is kind of the most institutionalized party in Norway, I'd say, that has the strongest institutions and, and, and training in these kind of things. 
Um, and she writes that in Norway, we don't have strong traditions for visible speechwriters. They are supposed to be invisible. <laughs> you don't want to know that they exist. And that's also the, the message she said I got the first day as a political um, uh, advisor at the prime minister's office. I was told that you're not supposed to shine, he's supposed to shine, you're supposed to disappear, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, I guess, uh, so why do you think, first of all, why do you think it's like that in Norway? I mean, in other countries, you know, you know who the spin doctors and the, you know, the advisors to the to the prime minister in England and uh, the people working as speechwriters mm -hmm. for Barack Obama, for example, and Trump too, we know who writes his speeches. Um, that's just a part of the the political machinery that's quite well accepted. Mm. Why don't we have that in Norway in the same way? Do you think? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and that's a question I've uh, asked myself a lot of times. And I totally agree with the Mina Gajdan the invisibility of the speechwriters because they do not exist, and and that's a fact that they we are quite few as well uh so 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 it's a fact uh, in, in norway i, I mean it, it's part of the culture maybe that you're supposed to make your own way or you're supposed to do everything yourself uh, not about you should not buy help for well anything really you should right. be able to 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 craft your own uh, your own things and um Just be self-taught man of the people yeah. women of the people uh, but it's not a, well, it, it shouldn't be like that. And uh, we have a, well, it developed a lot of communication departments with like big departments with advisors mm -hmm. uh, helping with every other things uh, like uh, making videos, uh, doing social media assistance, like everything. But, but still it, it kind of remains that, um, uh, Writing a speech or drafting a speech—that's uh, something that uh, everyone can do. It's—it's it's not like you need certain dedicated people only working with speeches because that's the prejudice, right? That's that we don't—we yeah. don't need these people. We don't need these people because we have people that know how to write. We know people that can write answers to the media, and these same people are often used to write speeches as well. And um, uh, a very few Norwegian, even like politic uh, politicians on like prime ministers and I, I i know for sure that uh, we've had prime minister who, who did not have a dedicated speechwriter they had of course help from some political advisors here and there and if it was a big very important speech they they kind of of course they they got a draft uh, but there was not like one person dedicated to doing this job uh, uh, it's not acknowledged as a kind of a, an old discipline it's uh, hmm. if you're a communication person you can you can do everything including writing a speech um, and uh, of course that's um, uh, that's not something I agree to because uh, this is a whole like unique discipline this is a, it's a craft it's a it's a it's a whole different way of writing as mm. I've said several times now it's uh it's um it's not just something everyone can do just because they know how to write and they know how to spell and uh, they yeah they know they love and know a lot of difficult words uh, it's the other way around it's when you know all the easy words and uh, how to present it easily it's a uh, it's a whole craft 
I mean, I guess it reminds me a bit of uh, the movie of the Char- Char- Chariots of Fire, where uh, it's a big uh, controversy in the 1920s that someone has hired a professional trainer to become a faster runner. You know, <laughs> this kind of <laughs> this kind of yeah. spirit decor that you're supposed to be able to do everything with effortlessness of the gods. Yeah. That the that there there's not supposed to be any kind of professionalization or any kind of um, potential for stratification, I guess. So in in Norway, in the same way, I guess there's the fear of elitism, right? Yeah, the, the, sen- the sense that the elites have their own language and their own eloquence that's not accessible to the rest of the people, and therefore we want to try to, even if we have these things, we don't mention them. We try to hide them, right? Yeah. But it could also be uh, like I've experienced with lawyers and it could be also relevant to other uh, kind of professions that um, they're afraid that uh, if a professional speechwriter or if a communication person kind of can ruin their text or they can take away the meaning and Mm. it's not precise enough, especially working with lawyers, I've experienced that oh, no, 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 you cannot change a single word in this paragraph because we need all the words here. Uh, the minister has to say everything here. If not, it's it's not completely correct. And the uh, view will be on compliance rather than on exactly. eloquence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The compliance element is very important. And I think that's that can also be a reason that they're kind of scared that the speechwriters would simplify or, yeah, too much to simplify their, their message and... Uh, but that's kind of one of my really strong. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm really concerned about. That you can always, no matter the subject, say things in a simply easier or yeah more plain language mm-hmm. can be used uh, always. <laughs> and I guess there's, I mean, the the ideal that you get that I think you need to get proper eloquence is a speechwriter that works with a speaker and is perhaps tied to their political career to a certain extent but they they know the voice of the speaker they understand their cadence their the best how they do their work best the best the best abilities i mean peggy noonan is is famous for writing all of uh, ronald reagan's speeches uh john Favreau writing for Barack Obama, right, and uh, yeah, one of the eight that wrote for him, <laughs> right. But I think yeah. he was he was the one that gave, wrote the, for example, the "We the People" speech, and and yeah. uh, that was that was seen as his most eloquent speech, one of his most eloquent speeches that he that he ever made, and one that has he had a huge impact on his presidential campaign, right, where he, um, especially dealing with the race race question of race and and so on. Um, and I remember reading a a. a back and forth as they were working out that speech and kind of uh, wor- working on that speech and Barack Obama he's quite eloquent himself he's able to write he's a writer he's a speaker um, and he came with a certain section that he gave to John Favreau so like I want this part to be part of the speech and John Favreau responded and said this is why you should be president right because because <laughs> of that that perspective that he was able to give specifically on on the question of race and and resentments that lingered and so on um you need someone that I think to get like pure, like the best eloquence, I guess you, you need to have uh, a team that are dedicated to help this person to shine and help to have this message shine, to have it things worked and reworked in, in a lot of different ways. 
and th that's how you get that's usually how you get you know words that 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 last right <laughs> to get exactly. i mean it's it's in some ways it's a national it's a national treasure uh to have these kind of speeches that can tell us something about who we are who can that can define our times that can give us direction right um and i don't know if we have that in the same way uh in norway like we have a staff that's worked long enough with a certain politician and that have the um shall we say artistic qualities to be able to craft for that politician the right kind of speech to give to yeah to to give an eloquent message <laughs> no i don't think we have or so far invested enough in as you said uh, building uh, around the speaker like a, a whole kind of uh, little staff working for the there was some during uh, Jens Stoltenberg and his government. Uh, he had a great speechwriter that unfortunately died to, way too early, Hans Christian Amundsen, oh, who wrote his famous speeches uh, after the twenty second of July. Uh, but he didn't get enough time to to fulfill this. Uh, he was building something there, but uh, that's the kind of uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, there might, of course, be things that I don't know enough about in other political parties and stuff, but uh, there's no famous kind of environment within any political Norwegian parties working on this, having this as a focus or as a as a main area, of, like what they're really working with, because, um, no, you, you said you need to invest in a whole group of people being dedicated to to, to make this person or this politician or this uh, man or woman shine and uh, that it takes a lot of uh, yeah it takes a lot of more time than a few communication advice advisors writing a sentence here and there and yeah putting it together to a speech it's uh, it's a more more about that you need to find you need to have uh, you need to to know the the voice, uh, so you need to be really closely connected as well to the. So I've heard um, Obama speechwriters in several occasions. Uh, I've been to, to to seminars where they have been speaking, and they said that they felt at times that they they sat inside his head. They were <laughs> so close that I could really like, I could hear him out, and that's always been something that I've tried to to take on as well even though I've never had this close uh, link to my speaker as uh, Obama speechwriters had, but I've tried to, you try to hear him or her talk and then to, to use these exact same phrases and words and uh, tones. And uh, that's also, that's a good tip as well uh, to, to try to, to, when I, when I'm, uh, writing for a new person I've never written before. I always start the process of I, I log on to YouTube and I listen to, to, to previous speeches or mm. things that, that they've said to try to, to kind of uh, understand the, their cadence, the, yeah. the way that they, they're comfortable with sentences. And you can see that they, they really like when you've done this kind of preparation because then you, oh yeah, yeah, you write, this is exactly the way I like things. Yeah, because that's the way you've presented them a lot of times before. Maybe they've 
weren't really like aware of that mm-hmm. but uh to to do to to hear the voice to find their voice uh that is the core of course i've said that keep it short keep it simple know your audience but all this can be kind of summed up to 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 listen to the voice find their voice mm. uh, you can't really put take one manuscript uh, given to a specific politician and give it to a totally different one because uh yeah doesn't fit their personality doesn't, doesn't fit their fit yeah their, their way of uh, speaking um, that varies from person to person so uh but having enough people around this uh, speaker being interested in lifting this person that's um it's what it's all about <laughs> i guess you've also learned to become kind of a uh, get an eye for personality as shown or the public persona that they kind of uh have created for themselves so that they that they display in their speeches right so some are kind of like um say for example Borten Mu Borten Mu wants to be kind of like man of the people say it the way they are kind of being a little bit rude maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> give strong metaphors right and yeah. then you have others that want to be more polished be more uh, polite yeah. come across as learned uh, be able to you know informed Gosh Gosh is like that right he wants to be kind of uh, you know he he's clearly a highly educated man and he wants to whether he wants to or not he has he has that persona right uh and so he wants to just explain things to a certain extent in detail use the correct language you know the right terms for things and so on yeah people are of course different uh and uh and so and so do you sometimes look at politicians on the tv that maybe you don't have the most clients now but you're like oh this is what (laughs) i would do for this person this is the kind of language they would use this is what if i were to write now a speech for this politician this, these are the, the kind of tones i would use these are the kind of sentences i would use yeah yeah that can happen uh yeah uh, these um politicians are yeah difficult to get as clients though that you need to really uh, as i said uh, in norway we have uh, speech writers within the different ministries that are bureaucrats mm-hmm meaning that they're there no matter who is the minister right. uh, and to become the one and only speechwriter in following this politician you need to yeah you need to be within a political party and uh, very rarely I've learned that yeah these uh, jobs are up for grabs that uh, being the speechwriter of this and this person but uh, that's kind of my dream to to, to find this one person that uh, I can write for. I guess you'd have to find someone that fits your political party. Yeah, <laughs> whoever, exactly. whoever you want to vote for, right? Exactly. <laughs> it is easier, but that's a, that's a thing you learn as well from being a speechwriter within the ministry. It's that um, no matter the political color, you you just your job is to make this person shine and getting their message through, and uh, that's very uh, yeah. That's normally no big problem whether this person being from right the the far out right or the far left it's uh it's your job to make him or her uh shine and uh yeah i guess that's also a challenge with the political consultant class that in for example in the u.s 
you have two parties to choose from. And if you're in one camp, you have all the candidates of that party right, as potential clients. And uh, in the other camp, you have all the clients of that party. As long as you don't shift from one party to the other, you're good, right? Exactly. <laughs> but in Norway, because of the, the political splintering, that, um, how many parties we have, right? Um, all the talent has to be homegrown in that party in order to be able to util be utilized, right? Exactly. To be used. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Labour Party, they're the largest, and so they have the biggest pool to choose from them, and then, and yeah. and uh, currently the Conservatives or Heida, right? Yeah. Um, and so I guess the smaller parties may be challenged trying to find um, the yeah appropriate communications consultants that can work uh, for the, for their top candidates. But as you said, that there, there might be a lot of speechwriters, but they are invisible, so you don't know. Uh, you don't know where they are or who they are. Well, or... I'd say that at least for every top candidate, there's a speechwriter, right? So for every party. And then yeah, for all awesome. ministers, there are, I mean, in, if you add them all together, and then I'd probably say probably the main, the main business leaders would have some kind of uh, leaders of business. They have communication staffs. Um, all universities, they have communication staffs now for their uh, for their principals, yeah. for their... For their Do uh, they have their own speechwriters? I don't know. Uh, I know ours does. Um, yeah. Yeah. The communications yeah. department writes speeches for the for the rector of the University of Southeastern Norway. Yeah. Um, and they go with them everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we have yeah. the staff now. Uh, but I've tried to initiate a, a network of speechwriters in Oslo, uh, and uh, it's been difficult to to get people to to join. So uh, I don't do know if that's the because there's, there's, is get, Do you think that's it. because they're supposed to be uh, be secret? They're supposed to not. Be, it's not supposed to be known I'm, that this is the person that writes Jonas Skarsgård's sure. speeches or, you know, that but he doesn't yeah. write his own speeches. There's some kind of shame connected to exactly. that. Exactly. I'm not sure. And uh, I, yeah, I've asked myself that question a lot of times as well, because being in a network, that's what I've learned from joining the European Speechwriters Network. It, mm -hmm every other country has like big groups of uh, people like me freelance speechwriters uh, who've started their own uh, on their own and uh, there are numerous uh, and uh, here in Oslo we managed to gather uh, I don't think 10 or 12 and uh, that's it and uh, I never what about, hear what about the Norwegian Communication Association do they have like a subgroup that uh, has, no. deals with speechwriting no I held a, uh, I was there at their uh, autumn conference uh, mm -hmm. talking about speech writing uh, uh, in uh, November and uh, I did a kind of survey as I started my presentations and I asked uh, the audience there were 300 people and asked to raise their hands how many of you are working with like drafting speeches as part of your job and there, there were four hands uh, uh, among these 300 but a lot of them came up to me afterwards and were really interested in this and said that this is something that we want to do more and uh, yeah, uh, a lot of enthusiasm, and uh, it all engaged them that uh, this is actually something completely like unique in uh, uh, within communication. Uh, but uh, we don't do this really because it's not a it's not like one person can just uh, dedicate themselves to this because we have a lot of other tasks. So yeah, that was kind of a picture of uh, how it is. I mean, in in Norway, I felt like also as a rhetorical critic, right? I've been sometimes writing about the, the ways that different politicians express themselves and so on. Um, that 
politicians are not very open to talk about their craft right they uh, <laughs> and when when someone calls them out on things it's like they're they're looking at their cards you know it's like they're kind of revealing their cards and they they try to change the topic or say like oh this is just just rhetoric and it doesn't really matter what we're like let's go go to the actual policy here uh, but they try to get away from the topic as soon as they can except i remember um uh, an election where um was it the 2016 election so, something like that where there was a lot of talk about the specifically the rhetoric that the uh, um progress party francis party were using and they were kind of talking about it as a rhetoric election and the answer was from them to say like well rhetoric doesn't matter only uh only only, pol only policy matters right um and that was the closest i think that we've come to see a kind of public discussion of of rhetoric and the way that politicians communicate as as consequential somehow and i mean for lista it meant it led to her in the end to her departure as a minister right because um because because of that uh, social media rhetoric that she'd used with the the social media post that uh, the Labour Party puts terror, the rights of terrorists over the security of Norwegian people, right? After, after they yeah. had suffered that terrorist attack themselves. Um, so I guess, yeah, as far as like public discussion or kind of acknowledgement of this is actually the craft and the trade <laughs> of politicians and this is what they're doing and this is how they're doing it. Um, there seems to be a certain unease where you can talk about these things a bit more openly, I think, in, in some other countries. Yeah. We don't have a big tradition of uh, doing or having these uh, discussions uh, at all, uh, as you said. But for a fact, that was why she had to, to leave at that time, because of the rhetorics that she used. So it's, um, yeah, it's a paradox that uh, we don't discuss this uh, uh, we have a few people though. Jens Jelsen, he, mm -hmm. he he could take part in this discussion, uh, and uh, we've uh, talked a lot about uh, trying to, uh, yeah, raise more awareness on these subjects. Uh, we were in uh, Copenhagen in the in November and uh, taking part in the in the this, the Danish speech of the year, and uh, we kind of thought, why don't we have this in Norway? And then we we thought, well how many speeches have there really been that have that everyone knows that have moved the, the Norwegian people and uh, we had trouble uh, pointing out uh, candidates for this uh, award in Norway but we said that oh, we have to establish something like this in Norway as well to that could be also helping in yeah getting more attention on the speech writing as a uh, as a whole mm. whole discipline yeah, because I think that, I mean, in some ways, we got to realize that, uh, I, th I think it needs to be realized that politicians don't just do policy, they also do persuasion, right? That's the that's the two pieces, exactly. right? That there's the policy, but there's also the persuasion part. And that's that's a huge part of their job. And, and if they do it well, <laughs> yeah, it can lead to better, hopefully, a better, better, better politics, better exactly. public sphere. Um, and really good eloquent rhetoric i feel like is also enlightening it's kind of it's great art but it's also um yeah. it's also 
great philosophy, great uh, formation of expectations for public policy for how to how we how we talk about things. I totally agree. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. But I guess we're we're also very wedded to the kind of anti-intellectual, you know, down to earth. I mean, in, yeah. in, in, in Norway, I, we've always we pride ourselves with the fact that if a gov- if a government minister or a prime minister goes back to normal life and becomes nothing special, that's a good thing. You know, exactly. he's just one of us. He doesn't. Yeah. Whereas in in France, that would be a scandal. Exactly. We, as you said, there, one of us don't stand out just lay low <laughs> don't think you're something big uh, like don't stay, think you're something special you are. Yeah. yeah you're not something special you're just one of us so um yeah but, but i don't think you have to lose that ideal at the same time be able no. to promote excellence in speaking and in the way we um manage our public discourse right um there's there's a way of elevating this without making it elitist or un, un, unobtainable or inaccessible. It should be definitely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in, in some ways, if you look at the the last couple of years or the last year, the most eloquence has come probably from Zelensky, right? Because the the moment itself creates a certain eloquence, and as of such, it maybe it's good thing that we don't have to have speeches about national survival and <laughs> we will fight them on the beaches and in the cities and you know in the landing grounds um that we are comfortable enough that we don't need eloquence to r- rouse our spirits and make us uh, prepared for war right exactly yeah so yeah. in some in some ways i mean churchill was eloquent before too but the reason why he's become famous is because he, the occasion is the occasion of course. creates the creates the, the moment yeah. Or creates the speech. Mm. So, but we, I think we can still get. There's still rooms for some more eloquence, even if we don't want more national tragedies or, or, uh, moments of determining the national fate or so. <laughs> I definitely agree. There should be. There are. Yeah, possibilities to 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 make this. Well, because these things matter, right? And people should care, and to make them care, you have to be able to engage them. Yeah, and words can really, yeah, words can matter. Words are powerful. Words can create and words can destroy, right? Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, I think that's a good place to stop it there. And uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing your uh, your knowledge and good luck in creating the uh, Speech Writers Guild of Norway. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me. It was nice talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Rhetorical Leadership Podcast. I hope you will join us again for the next episodes. And if you have enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review and sharing it with your friends.